Good morning and welcome to On Fire Radio, brought to you by Catskill Mountain Christian Center, a full gospel family church and Christian academy located at 629 Main Street in beautiful Margaretville, New York. What a great day to go to church. If you don't have a church, come on over to Catskill Mountain Christian Center. We would love for you to be our guest this morning. That's Catskill Mountain Christian Center this morning at 10 o'clock. If you'd like more information about On Fire Radio or Catskill Mountain Christian Center, give us a call at 845-586-4848. I'm Renard Bartow, and I'd like to invite you to join us for the next 30 minutes as we bring you On Fire Radio. Now let's go to Pastor Bob Engelhart with today's message. I titled it, We Walk on the Edge of Eternity. We feel like we're... There's a guy on a video that I saw. He said, you think you're walking toward the ocean and that's going to be when Jesus comes back or that's when we go home to be with the Lord and that's going to be eternity is the ocean. And we feel like we're walking perpendicular toward the ocean. And he said, we're not walking toward the ocean. He said, we're walking along the beach. He said, the ocean is right here. The ocean is right here, and, it, and it's here for kind of dipping your foot in, for taking a swim in, and getting back out on the sand. But we're walking on the edge of eternity. God's Spirit is omnipresent. As a matter of fact, if you're a Christian, God's Spirit lives within you, and you're the temple of, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So you never go anywhere without him. You never do anything without him. Um, So we walk on the edge of eternity. So I want to start with Psalm 119 and verses 159 and 160. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. The entirety of your word is truth. The entirety of your word is truth. Not just the words in red. The entirety of your word is true. The entirety of your word is true. The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. That means into the ocean. Into your eternity. Not just on the beach, but into eternity. Every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Jesus said really the same thing this way. He said in the same exact quotation in Matthew 24, 35, Mark 13, 31, 
Luke 21, 33, Jesus said, the heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Never pass away. Our, our philosophies are going to pass away. Our politics are going to pass away. Our cultures are going to pass away. Our family dynamics are going to pass away. Um, our cars are going to pass away. Our, you know, the, you know eventually the, the heavens and the earth are going to pass away. The heavens and the earth, I mean, everything is going to pass away that we can see or feel or touch or know or make us comfortable or we're familiar with. They're all going to pass away, but the words of Jesus will somehow stand as truth throughout all eternity. I mean, you know, that's the kind of that's the kind of rock you want to build your life on. That's the kind of rock you want to build your life on. And so now I'm going to sort of switch gears just a little bit. In um, Matthew verse five, verse five. Jesus looks out. Now he's seeing the multitudes. And I want you now to see the multitudes in our world. Seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Who was he teaching? His disciples, who was he looking out over? The multitudes. So he's talking to his disciples, and he's giving his disciples this instruction first so that they would disperse these beatitudes to the multitudes. But if they're not living them themselves then there's no dispersion, right? So seeing the multitudes, he went on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, you got, the thing that's cool about Jesus is when he says those things that he says, they are bedrock truth for all eternity. These things are bedrock truth for all eternity. There is no, there is no escape from these truths. These are the truths we'll be judged by. He says, first of all, and, and, and I'm really going, you know what really got me about this is that in every one of the Beatitudes, he speaks of a vacuum. You know what a vacuum is? A vacuum is a place where there's nothing. A vacuum is a place that's empty, right? So he's saying, in, throughout these Beatitudes, he's saying, blessed are the people who contain these vacuums, these empty places, because any place that's full, you can't fit anything else into, right? If it's full, I can't fit anything else into it. So he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? It means that poverty is a vacuum. If I know that I don't know it all spiritually, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. I know Jesus, so I know enough. Right? I can get into heaven. I know Jesus. I know enough. No. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who recognize they haven't learned it all yet. Blessed are the people who recognize they still have things to learn, that they're not there yet, you're not done yet. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, because they are open to learn more. They are open to correction. They are open to growth. They are open to blessed life from God. Poverty speaks of, blessed are the poor in spirit. It speaks of a vacuum. God, I know you, but I don't know you. I don't know the, the, how you created the heavens and the earth, how you are beyond time. I, I, I know some scriptures, but, but there's so many things I don't know. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I come to terms with my poverty. I got saved, now I'm a rich man. Yes, you're a rich man, but I'm a poor man because I still don't know enough. I've got, I, I live in a culture that has largely dismissed the God that we know and we love and we care for. How do we learn enough to turn their hearts back to their own creator? Verse 4 says, Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning speaks of a vacuum of comfort and joy in God's spirit. Blessed are they who mourn. So much to mourn about. Is there not much to mourn about? Is there not a war over in Russia and the Ukraine that people are dying and people are losing their homes? Is there not a, is there not, is there not a, a, a vacuum of, of the knowledge of God in this country that God blessed and established because people were, the Puritans did come here with purified lives. They wanted to get away from the reckless, horrible, worldly circumstance of culture in Europe. So they came over here on this Mayflower thing and, 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 and started this thing that they said, we're, we're gonna try to create something that's just a little more perfect because we're gonna include God in everything that we do, right? I don't know. I, I just think that, you know, the morning, <clears throat> morning speaks of a vacuum of comfort and joy that we get in God's spirit because when we get in God's spirit we can be filled with comfort and joy but that comes through the process of mourning blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted you know we really have to come to a place where we recognize just how how we're not connecting with our culture where we're not able to move the minds and hearts of the people who are our friends and neighbors, our family members, the people who we love, and to be able to turn them toward Jesus, towards the only right thing in the universe. 
that we just read, the heavens and the earth are going to pass away. My words will by no means pass away. Right? Or maybe we will read that yet. I don't know. Number five says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. People who are, people who are mourning are comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. The, the armor of human pride that we wear, sometimes because of our religion, the armor of human pride, social, our social status, our family identity, our scientific knowledge, our intellectual knowledge, creates a vacuum. As long as we're filled with all of those things, meekness can't be there. Because meekness is, meekness denotes gentle of mind, um, heart, and spirit. Christ uses it of his own disposition, the word meek. Um, it, is adorn it is the adornment of the Christian profession, 1 Peter 3, 4. It's epios, and, and the word means gentle, of a soothing disposition, meek. Meek, gentle, of a soothing disposition. Um, Zechariah 9.9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation, lowly, and riding upon a donkey, upon the, the colt of a, the foal of a donkey. Jesus, the king of all of creation, the whole universe, the God of the entire universe comes to you lowly on a donkey. Now, how are his people to represent him? How are his people who, have, who are bearing his spirit to represent him? With pride and religious zealotry and pride and better than thou and all that kind of thing? No. Low, riding on a donkey. That's our king. That's my king. That's my king. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not the weak. Jesus on that donkey wasn't weak. It's the God of all creation on that donkey. The son of the living God on that donkey. Wanting to you to see his disposition is meek. He doesn't come to push you around and boss you around and curse you out. Comes meek, lowly, riding on a donkey. I wonder how his people are supposed to are supposed to present ourselves as we ride into Jerusalem on the week before he would be crucified. Should he stand up? Should he set up a throne? Should he 
Should he lightning bolt Herod and Pilate so he can sit on their throne and take over and beat a big, big cheese? Nothing like that. Meek, lowly, riding on a donkey. Verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You hunger and thirst for righteousness, that means that you have a vacuum inside of you because you want to be, desperately want to be good. You desperately want to be good and recognize what's not good inside of you. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a vacuum inside of you. You're hungry for something. If your belly's full, you're not hungry. If your belly's full, if you're saying, I'm good enough, I'm righteous enough, you're not hungry. Blessed are the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness in themselves. Don't worry about me. Don't worry, I'm not that righteous. I'm hungry and thirsty for righteousness for me. Because then maybe I could be a help to somebody else. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. That we recognize that we have a vacuum. That, that, that only if you have this vacuum. See, nature abhors a vacuum. That's Aristotle, by the way. Eh? Eh? You don't think I'm smart over here? That's Aristotle. Nature abhors a vacuum. Unless you have a vacuum inside of you and recognize your, your lack of goodness, of your, your penchant toward things that are not righteous, you won't be hungry and thirsty for goodness. It's a vacuum of goodness. My conscience tells me that I am guilty, and I don't like it. My conscience tells me. I have a conscience, and my conscience, I can't, I can't escape from my conscience because I've been washed in the wash of, with the washing of the water of the Word of God, and the Word of God everywhere I don't measure up. Everywhere I don't measure up. I have this vacuum inside of me that desires goodness. Number seven, verse seven says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It's a vacuum of compassion. You have a vacuum. You need to have a, a vacuum. You have to have a vacuum. If you're filled with judgment, if you're, a, if you're the judge, you come to judge. Everybody, anybody remember Flip Wilson besides me? <laughs> you come to judge. <laughs> you come to judge. You know, and you see a lot of Christians, you come to judge. Right? Blessed are the merciful. They all ob obtain mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. A vacuum of compassion. Person with speaks of a person, speaks of me at times with no sympathy for those who hurt. Drive by them, you know, walk by them, pretend like they're not there. 
the Good Samaritan, right? Well, listen, that was a Jewish guy. Jesus speaking to Jewish people. It was the Jewish guy who was beat up by robbers and, and left half dead on the side of the road. And it, and it was his Jewish friends who were passing him by on the other side of the road. It was the priest. It was the, it was the, it was the other religious people who passed him on the other side of the road. It was the foreigner. It was the Samaritan who were considered to be a lower class ethnically than the, Jew, the Jews considered them to be a lower ethnic class, it was the Samaritan who stopped and helped him. Right? So you're, listen, we're the Samaritans. We're the ones who are held in, you know, I don't know. You know, we're, we're the weirdos, I guess, is one way to say it. We're the weirdos. We're the Jesus people. We're those believers. We're them over there. They go to that church over there. We're those people. We're the Samaritans who get to stop and help the broken people along the side of the road. And does it, does, does it have to come with a price? Do they have to accept Jesus in order for you to help them? Well, they're accepting Jesus. They're accepting Jesus' love and help when you give them love and help. Because you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. So whenever you help any one of them, you are the good Samaritan. Don't you love the topsy-turvy stuff that Jesus does and twists things all around and puts it in like a crawler so you kind of twist it around and... But when you eat it, it's like delicious. Right? Verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart. Vacuum of innocence. You need to have a vacuum of innocence. You need to get rid of the cynicism, worldliness, shrewdness. You're jaded. You're connected with those who uh, you connect with, people who only you feel are socially worthy of your company, it creates a jadedness. Um, but what we need is a vacuum of innocence so that Jesus can fill that spot. You won't have to be jaded, and cynical, and worldly, and say, I'm not so shrewd. So, so it's a purity of heart. It's an intentional purity of heart. It's an intentional resistance of cynicism, of jadedness, of judgmentalism. Because if that's what's filling your heart, there cannot be purity in there. You cannot have both. They do not, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. Right? Something is going to fill that spot inside your heart. It'll be cynicism or it'll be... Um, purity. And if you're pure on purpose, people will think you're naive. And if they think you're naive, well, maybe you are. And I'd rather be naive and saved and cynical and jaded, successful in this life and um, miss God and the fun we can have as his children. 
Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers are people who do not have, or the vacuum here is a vacuum of courage. Peacemakers have to have, peacemakers need courage. Peacemakers, being a peacemaker demands that you insert yourself in an ugly situation. And you mediate in an ugly situation. And you bring peace in an ugly situation. Maybe in a marriage, maybe in a family, maybe in a community. You're a peacemaker. A peacemaker, that's one of the, that's one of the offensive strategies here in the Beatitudes. Peacemaker means that you have to go out and make peace. When you see that there's brokenness, and listen, in church, we all, we all come in as the Star Wars bar, right? We get saved. We all come in with the eye sticking out over here and 14 arms and you know what I mean and, and crazy music playing and we all come in disparate and God wants us to live in harmony. What does that demand? Peacemakers. Peacemakers are assertive human beings who are out to see peace made. Peace with God first, and then the rest hopefully follows. And then he says, verse 10 and 11, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen, folks who are closest to you, when you get on this real Jesus beatitude kick, they, they are going to reject the living daylights out of you. You know, they're just not going to understand you. They're not going to like you. People, I had a lot of friends. You know, I used to have a lot of friends. Oh, no, honestly, I used to have a lot of friends. Yeah, I think they would consider me popular. I was, you know, listen, I never rejected any of those friends, but they all rejected me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, the vacuum of courage to involve oneself in human dispute. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Falsely. Get the falsely. Not because you do good things. Not because you hound them to death with the gospel. But, but when, they, when they lie about you. This is, you're blessed when they lie about you. They make up stuff about you. He said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. When people start lying about you, rejoice. Because they got to make up lies about you. Because they got nothing on you. They got nothing on you. They got to make up lies about you. You know? Rejoice in that day and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And if you get a hold of that, man, if you ever get a hold of that, how good life is, how good this journey is, abbreviated or lengthy, you know, eternity awaits us, and we got our marching orders, amen? And they're not hard to follow. And they actually, that's the key to the, to the life that God would have us live. Know that you stand on the edge of eternity. 
know that, that God is here right now. He's filling this space with his presence. He loves you desperately. And he has a life for you that you, you beyond your greatest imagination. There's more to come, folks. There's more to come. We're not there yet. We're just getting there, yeah? So, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray together that you would allow us to drink these Beatitudes. Lord God, to be the embodiment of these Beatitudes. I don't, you know, maintaining a spirit of meekness without becoming prideful or arrogant in our own self, our own self-image, Lord God, but knowing we got a long way to go and a short time to get there, um, according to Smokey and the Bandit. And <laughs> we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good day. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God has used this message to minister to you. If you would like to help financially support the work of Catholic Mountain Christian Center, you can go to our website and give at www.cmcconline.org. There you'll find options how to give online safely and securely. And to find out more about Catholic Mountain Christian Center, you can follow us on all of our social media platforms. You can follow the handle at CMCC Church at Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also head over to our website at www.cmcconline.org. And on behalf of Pastor Bob Inglehart and everyone here at Catholic Mountain Christian Center, this is Jake Johnson signing off. God bless, and thank you for joining us this morning.